This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Podcasts. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from 6-7 The Scores, Mullen and Haw Show, Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune. And we are talking to you after the 24-hour rule has expired, but the Bears still enjoying the 28-13 victory over the Lions at Soldier Field, the most significant victory in the Matt Eberflus era. There aren't many to choose from, but that sure felt like it, Dan, especially when you talk about what it meant to maybe the his future, maybe Justin Fields' future, just over uh, a victory over a good team. Felt like uh, something big, and it was why the Bears enjoyed it to the extent that they did. Well, I'm not getting in the DeLorean and and racing back to the future to figure out what's next for for Matt and Justin just off of that. But I think you're right in saying it is the most significant win of the last two seasons. There's not a lot to choose from. And the way that the Bears played that game against a first-place opponent in their division and took control of the entire second half was notable. Again, I think that... You were there at Soldier Field when we hit halftime and the Lions had kind of seized the momentum by taking the 13 to 10 lead by scoring late in the first half and and having the opportunity to get the ball coming right out after halftime. You thought, oh, boy, this could go sideways in a hurry. The Lions could easily go down the field, make it 20 to 10. And we're all sitting here scratching our heads going, what the heck just happened? Instead, the Bears defense took over that game and then set their offense up for a chance to really take over that game. And the next thing you know, you're walking out of uh, Soldier Field with a 15-point win and a lot of positive energy, as you felt, from the players and coaches in that building. No doubt about it. And I think maybe the biggest reason why I think it represented um, something more than just maybe a regular season victory to this team and this organization starving for something good is that this was – by design. This was when Ryan Poles hired his defensive-minded head coach. And I think when you, you envisioned 
victories like Sunday's happening. You know, you have uh, a front four that gets to the quarterback and collapses the pocket and creates pressure. You've got linebackers flying around and, you know, creating a takeaway and just doing what they need to do, making the big stops on fourth and one. And you've got a secondary that is impactful. You know, Jaquan Brisker had 17 tackles, maybe it's 18, because that's what she <laughs> said. Um, you had, you had uh, Tyreek Stevenson and you had Jalen Johnson and everybody, even Eddie Jackson um, for half of the game at least, but when he wasn't uh, an unwilling tackler, Anyway, you have a defense that's setting the tone. You've got an offense that's complementing that defense with a dynamic dual threat quarterback, and you're getting, you know, your third phase is pretty good as well. So that's the way I think Ryan Poles envisioned it. Finally, that's the way Matt Eberflus is coaching it. And finally, you had a victory that they, you know, fit the profile and, and um, the criteria for what they're looking for at Hallis Hall. Before I give you my full response to that, let's talk about those 17 tackles, which Matt Eberflus said reminded him of his time playing at Toledo in the MAC. And then he called you out in the post-game press conference Sunday and said, you know what I'm talking about, Ball State. He did do that. He <laughs> caught me a little off guard. Uh, I didn't have a good uh, quip uh, to return. Um, I don't know if it called for one in that case. What was your and record that, against Toledo? Do you remember? Oh, I, I, I remember – I, I remember several games against Toledo. I don't. I think I was two and two. Okay. Perhaps I played against Flusi twice. I think we beat him uh, my junior year because he was two years behind me, and I think they beat us my senior year at the Glass Bowl in Toledo. Okay. What I remember about this my senior year game against uh, Toledo, and you gotta love some good Mac football memories, don't you? Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. But. Um, he, he was, I think, a, a starter as a sophomore. That might have been the first year. I, 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 I don't remember him necessarily playing because I, I was a safety. He was a linebacker. We were not on the field at the same time except for maybe special teams. I do remember the Toledo game. We lost it. It was the first game of, of our, my senior season in the, in the conference, and I had an interception in that game, and I ran it back, and I thought I was very going very good. I ran back the interception. It was a pretty decent run back, and then I fumbled. Oh, no. I lost the ball back to Toledo. So I remember that one for the wrong reasons, but Flusi certainly remembers his college career. That was funny. It was a funny moment. And by the way, he wasn't wrong. Matt Eberflus was a tremendous Mid-American Conference linebacker at Toledo. <laughs> he had 21 tackles in a game against Northern Illinois. And I'm not going to say that when you played Northern Illinois back in those days, you looked forward to it as a defensive player because they ran the option and everything came right at you. But Matt Eberflus did clean up. He had 21 tackles, and that was after the film review. So, well, Jaqu- um, yeah. Jaquan Brisker said on Monday that his goal now is to get a tackle total that surpasses his head coach in 21 in, in college. So we'll see if he can get there. But that was part of a defensive performance, as you illuminated, that was uh, by design and executed to, to perfection against a high-level offense. I think that's what makes it – most notable is you took apart an offense that has weapons everywhere and you made Amon Ross St. Brown a non-factor and you neutralized Sam Laporta. And after some big explosive plays in the first half, Jameer Gibbs did nothing in the second half to threaten you. And so all of a sudden you have this defense that's playing with that cohesion and confidence at all three levels. That's significant. David, this felt to me like a 2018 victory 
where yeah. the where the offense is just taking over in primo position time after time after time and it's just like how much can you cash in with with, with this primo position first five possessions of the second half for the lions resulted in zero first out, first downs it was three three and outs a fumble and a turnover on downs and what you have in there uh is the opportunity to, 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 to change field position, the Bears' average starting field position after each of those five Lions drives was the Detroit 46-yard line. So when your average field position is in plus territory and then you're able to turn that into points and points and points and points, two touchdowns, two field goals, that's the recipe uh, for walking out of Soldier Field with a, a, an 18 to nothing shutout in the second half. Jared Goff had to feel like he was in some sort of time warp because it felt like 2018. It felt like a December night at Soldier Field when he was the quarterback of the Rams. They lost 15 to six that night five years ago. And here he was again, throwing the Bears the football, fumbling a snap and looking a little bit overmatched and looking very cold on a day that really wasn't that challenging weather-wise. But Goff now in two games against the Bears has thrown five interceptions in 2023. Combined yeah. against all the other teams on the Lions' schedule, he's thrown five interceptions in 2023. This guy <laughs> doesn't like playing the Bears, regardless of the uniform he's wearing. And the Bears took advantage of that and and played opportunistic takeaway football that would fall into the category of big hits principle like. Well, they, they they figured out ways to make him uncomfortable, and 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 pressure helps to do that. And it takes a quarterback out of his comfort zone early. And then you find ways to mix things up coverage wise in ways that uh, you think you're seeing something that that's there. And then it's not. And Jalen Johnson, again, uh, with uh, a similar reaction to the interception he had in Minnesota in the last game, kind of sinks off of a, a, a forward route to go get Sam Laporta on the fourth and 10 play and gets gets another interception for him. And so that, that's the start of a day, you know, where the Bears get the takeaways and T.J. Edwards lands on that fumble that you mentioned. And you're just constantly playing the game on your terms. And then when you get a lead, the whole point is protecting that lead, finishing with that lead. And the Bears did that way better uh, on Sunday at Soldier Field than they did at Ford Field three weeks earlier. Uh, we all know that when we looked up at the scoreboard and saw 25 to 13 and started doing the math and went, wait, 25 to 13, that's really similar to 26 to 14. How's this team going to finish this off? And the Bears did that, that end of the deal in closing, closing the job. So a lot, of, uh, a lot of us have talked about the difference in the Bears defense since Matt Eberflew started calling defensive signals. Alan Williams uh, parted company with a team that seemed like a long time ago. And yeah, you could point to that as when the maybe the ascent began. But let's face it, it, it really took on a different sort of pace and tone and shape when Montez Sweat arrived five games ago. The Bears have won more than they've lost with Montez Sweat in the lineup. Uh, three and two since uh, he was traded when they joined the Bears after the trade with the Commanders. And it's it's hard to quantify, except for when you look at the results on the scoreboard, you look at the takeaways and the sacks. In the first nine games um, of the season, the Bears had 10 sacks. In the last four, they've had 11. In the first nine games of the season, they had six interceptions. In the last four, they've had nine. I don't know if that is just one guy, Dan, but that one guy is truly the multiplier and makes everybody on that defensive line a little bit harder to block, a little bit more uh, maybe – uh, effective and it certainly helps the people behind the defensive line, the back seven, do their jobs a lot better. I mean, there's a presence there, and and it's being felt, and and, and then it kind of ripples outward. And and again, you have a defense that's 
that's whole. You know, you're not missing major pieces like they were at so many different spots of, of the start of the season with Gordon out and, and Jackson out and, and Brisker missing some time and Jalen missing some time. Like it's been a healthy, strong, cohesive defense that is clearly moving in the right direction. Um, and as I said on the score earlier on Monday, uh, I think it's fair to say that they've transitioned to use my own analogy from from the staircase to the escalator. You know, and, and so that, that side of the ball is certainly now moving in the right direction and moving there at a rapid pace that makes you believe there is something very, very uh, meaningful occurring here. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. So what's going on in offense? Because I think that's the other thing is that when you look at the the complementary part of complementary football, how is the offense complementing this defense? Well, I think the biggest turnover or the biggest statistic may be no turnovers for Justin Fields um, on a day where he had 58 rushing yards, carried 12 more times against the Lions. And then he had the big passing plays, the explosive play to DJ Moore. We'll get into the fourth and 13 in a moment. But, but Dan, what is – do you think the most impressive thing or what stood out the most on against the Lions about the Bears offense? Well, you know, I guess I'll start with the opening drive and, and, and the willingness to take the ball and then go down the field and cash in with your first possession and get a touchdown out of it. Same thing happened in Detroit three weeks earlier, and uh, they made plays on that opening drive. You obviously get uh, Justin going early with his feet a little bit in ways that, that, that create that momentum and seemed it to get him comfortable within a game. So whenever that's an option, it's great. You know, and some of, some of those are, are scrambles. You know, Justin's biggest damage as a runner came on scrambles when they're passing plays that he turned into runs and he had four rushes for uh, doing the math here quick for, I think 46 yards uh, as a scrambler. And, and, and so that's significant. The touchdown run was big. Um, you're able to, 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 to get some things going there. Now, there are some moments in there and I tweeted this out on, on Monday that w- where you see it and you go from the quarterback position, you go, that's it. It's coming right like that, that. That's exactly what you want to see there. And you start to feel really, really good about the direction of the improvement. And then before you take three more breaths, there's another example of some plays where it, it kind of goes sideways and you're like, ah, the pocket presence is a little shaky. Ah, why didn't he see that wide open receiver? Ah, why didn't he pull the trigger there in a window that, that is certainly NFL open? Uh, and, and, and so like you get to the end of the rewatch, David, and, and you're kind of left with the, the feeling like 
everything that would make you want to believe in Justin Fields is evident in that tape, and everything that would make you hesitant to invest in Justin Fields long term is evident in that tape. The only thing that wasn't there was was turnovers, which is a big deal. And I think one interception in the last five starts for Justin Fields is is a step in the right direction. He's taking care of the football as a passer much better, and that gives you a little bit of, of feelings of hope. But there's still some things within the the entire. Uh, game film where you're like, man, like I, if, if I'm Ryan Poles, I have to really stop, do some thorough investigating and figure out how I feel about all this. If he doesn't already know, and, and I wonder if he doesn't already know, but I, I would think that if you're an executive uh, and you're running an NFL team like he is, you, you have to discipline yourself to keep an open mind. And, and again, I think what Justin Fields did on Sunday as much as anything was that he basically kept forced us to keep an open mind about his future and what the bears should do. We all may have our inclinations about what we think they will do or should do when they get to that point, because there's a 95% likelihood that they're going to have the number one overall pick. Not that the Panthers have cratered and, and you know, the, uh, uh, the other teams went kind of had, had the surprising victories that the Patriots won. And uh, that's, you look at what's going on at the top of the draft and yeah, you have to have in mind what you would do. But, but I think Dan, when you, I wouldn't disagree, I would not disagree with your description of, of the overall game. Like there's good. And then there's a reminder of what, what potentially could be bad. Um, two things though. I, I, he didn't turn the ball over, which I think almost makes it the good outweigh the bad. Sure. And then I, I wonder in your mind, because he's had two previous games you know, before this in succession, that this was a third game in a row that I think was acceptable. Do you think that helps you or should help people maybe think that the good outweighs the bad against um, uh, the Lions on Sunday? No, no, I think without question, the good outweighs the bad for Sunday's performance. There's no question that that, that his his impact on that game helped the Bears win a football game. Obviously they get the, they get the early Christmas gift from Aiden Hutchinson on the free play touchdown and you cash in on it and you don't just take advantage of a mistake. You cash in on it in the fullest way possible and you get the touchdown and you never trail again, or you never tied again. And, and you just roll from there. And that, that, that's huge stuff. Um, I guess some of it is is converting the small picture lens into the big picture lens and trying to figure out what it means, right? Which is sometimes what we do uh, the the few days that follow. And 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 I'll give you a little tease on on something I'm I'm working on for next week, late next week, which is doing something we did with Mitch Trubisky after 50 starts and taking 35 starts. This will be Justin's 35th start in Cleveland on Sunday uh, afternoon, and that's a big sample size to go ahead and and rank. One through 35, all of the performances he's had as a Bears quarterback. Well, when you do this exercise, David, just as a little sneak peek there, it doesn't take you long to get into to Shrugsville and to, to to like okay to decent territory. And then it doesn't take you long after that to get into E territory. And if I asked you and studs here on this podcast right now to just rattle off, like give me a half a dozen exclamation point, no doubt terrific performances that Justin Fields has had as a quarterback. I bet, I bet it'd be a little bit of a stumper here that it wouldn't just be a list. That's just like rolls off the top of your, your tongue because there aren't a lot there. And so that's where it is. Is like, so these performances that are like, okay, that was good enough. 
they don't outweigh all of the other body of evidence. And that, that that's kind of what I was, I was leaning at there. And maybe, I don't know, maybe we should stay in the micro more and, and, and celebrate the win and talk about the good things he did against sure. the Lions. But I think that clock is ticking so loud about when this decision is made that that big picture lens just keeps luring you over into his own and to, the, to asking like, what did this really mean? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, Shrugsville is every Chicago Bears fan's <laughs> favorite neighborhood. You know, it's kind of like where they live. Yeah, it is. Yeah. When evaluating quarterbacks and, and most of Justin Fields starts have been in losses. So there isn't going to be as many indelible moments that are starts their plays and there may be uh highlights. If I, if I asked you for your top six, I bet you at, I, le- at least three of those, I, I would bet you are in games they lost for one reason or another. Absolutely. That, that's, that's true. And I, and I can't argue with that. I think, I think what happens is that um, that'll be a worthwhile exercise. I think Cleveland represents sort of a full circle moment. Wonderful moment field. too. And, you know, from going from where he started to where he is now and where he has to be, if he wants to keep, if, if he wants to stay here. Um, yeah, there's a lot there. So I think let's stick with the, with the micro for a second, because I sure. think Sunday there's still a lot of things. There's two, two plays specifically, um, I think worth pointing out one is, was my favorite, despite the fact it didn't have anything to do with Justin Fields, except for he was a decoy on the last play of the first opening drive, the touchdown, the 16 yard touchdown from oh, yeah. DJ Moore, uh, DJ Moore told us on the Mullen Haw show, they put that play in last week. Chris Morgan told him he was going to score. Justin Fields was glad that he did that because he was tired after <laughs> two straight runs. Um, Credit where it's due. That's a good one from Luke Getze. It was an unscouted look and an innovative play call. So if we're going to criticize Getze for the fourth and one call and the, the the counter and everything else that we have in the past, I think you had to give him credit for that. So that was, of all the plays, even though we'll get into more depth in the fourth and 13 one, I think that was my favorite play of the day. Certainly by design. It was terrific. And and they executed it perfectly in the Lions. When you go back and watch that from the, the end zone camera, you see how flummoxed they are when DJ starts rolling to his left and, and, and it's like everybody's eyes are on Justin as he's coming around because you expect him to get the ball and do something and they're frozen. And now all of a sudden Roshan Johnson gets out in front and makes a key block to get you, to get you an edge. And then you got two offensive linemen motoring downfield and Braxton Jones and, and Lucas Patrick to pave the way. I'm not sure DJ had a, had a finger laid on him on that play. Now, now David, like, I think you'd probably agree that, the wrinkle here is that, like, if you try something similar again, the next time Justin gets the ball there and you've got a passing play to the other side where the defense is so overcompensating now where you're going to have Justin kind of one-on-one with somebody where he can either run or pass and you're going to have a receiver on the other side that's one-on-one. That's that's the way to build plays off plays, as Mitch Trubisky used to say. But that that play, really cool, and, and it results in an end zone celebration. Roshan Johnson not only blocked somebody, that was Aiden Hutchinson that he took care of on that play. So that was a really big key block for him. Um, and then you, you did a great job in the Tribune on ChicagoTribune.com of breaking down 4th and 13 and all the different <laughs> elements of that play and how many people contributed to that thought process and what was going through the heads of DJ Moore and the offensive line and Justin Fields and then Aiden Hutchinson even acknowledging. And 4th and 13, this was what, what they did was they made Lionsing a verb again. That's yeah. the way Lions teams of the past used to act. There's no reason in football, anybody's football world, that you jump on fourth and 13. There's no hurry to get to the quarterback. That's one thing you can't do. But, Dan, I'll let you take it from here because the Bears went to the line of scrimmage without ever intending to snap the ball. 
So I'll slowly walk into this play by acknowledging what you just said about the Lions Lionsing. And I, I, I have this whole corner of my notebook written down of, of things where the Lions did Bears things or, or, or old Lions things. You have a bad snap on a missed PAT. You've got a uh, delay of game at the end of the first quarter by not recognizing where the clock was and, and basically taking a delay of game by a half a second. You've got a, a quarterback center exchange that doesn't go right. You've got a, a swing pass to Jameer Gibbs. It's going to be a touchdown if he catches it and he drops it. And then you have the most costly error of the day, which is the Aiden Hutchinson penalty jumping off sides. I have no earthly idea what he was doing there, what caused him to jump other than just a total brain fart. And, and Cole Komet was probably the most honest of anyone in that locker room and saying he got up to the line of scrimmage and, and, and thought to himself, there's no way in hell that they're jumping off sides here. We're going to take a delay a game here and we're going to punt the football. And, and that was everybody's mindset as the bears went up to the line there. Now, look, they also do practice this, you know, and, and, and you practice it for the rare opportunity where you can get the opponent to make a mistake. And so um, look, I, you watch enough football over, over uh, the course of a week to see this happen in every single game, every single week. And you see a team go up to the line attempting to draw a team off size and they oversell it. Sometimes they overact it. And sometimes you get so much motion and so much pointing and so much screaming and yelling. It doesn't look real, you know? And so all of a sudden the defense is just like, just hold your water, let them take their penalty or their timeout and, and we'll get the ball back. Well, that didn't happen here. And so you had a, a combination of offensive line communication, starting with Braxton Jones and, and Tevin Jenkins on the left side, pointing out Mike calls. You've got Justin Fields shouting for a dummy protection. You've got Cole Komet saying that he got so caught up in the acting silliness that he looked at Darnell Mooney, started making a signal, and Mooney looked at him like, what the hell are you doing? And he just said, I said, what did you do? He said, I banged my helmet. And so they're doing all this stuff. And ultimately, it comes down to one player on the other team giving you this oops moment that then your center has to take advantage of. And once your center takes advantage of it, then your quarterback has to take advantage. And once your quarterback takes advantage, your receiver, your best player on the outside with one-on-one -on -one coverage has to take advantage of it. And DJ Moore did a great job getting an inside release, getting getting wide open. Justin caught it, saw it, ripped it, and, and you've got a touchdown. But, but just like a really cool moment for the Bears at this stage of their climb because it was, again, just one of those things that happens to them so frequently that to see them inflict pain on an opponent for screwing up was just such a change of pace and so refreshing. I think what that says is uh, basically we're not used to seeing a play that demonstrates or says that the Bears have the higher football IQ. And on that play, it was almost instinctive because you do kind of practice it or talk about it. And there's always kind of this understanding in football, if you see a flag and it's offside, just, you know, it's a free play, free play, free play. And then what do you do? Well, you, then all of a sudden you're 12 and in your backyard and let's go deep. You know, everyone's going to run uh, four go routes and you see if I can beat my man. And DJ Moore um, <laughs> was was off to the races. And Jerry meep, Jacobs, meep, as he said. <laughs> yeah, meet meet. you know, and he was off and, and, and Jerry Jacobs didn't have a shot. So that was another example of uh, DJ Moore not being – able they had no answer for him you know I, I one of the more interesting stats to come out of Sunday's game was I think it was the next gen stat uh I saw somewhere and, and they do a terrific job DJ Moore is third in the in the NFL in uh yards or receiving yards against press man coverage like they saw on that play now number one I don't know what the heck the Lions were doing <laughs> in fourth and 13 in press man coverage I don't know even even before the snap what are you yeah, doing just play the sticks right uh, yeah exactly and then secondly once he 
that tells me that either teams are, are playing too much man coverage you can see you more and give them a chance to beat them or the bears are just taking advantage of the looks they do get but either way it underscores just how good of a season this guy's also having i haven't watched it yet but uh lucas patrick indicated that darnell mooney was also wide open on the other side of the field so <laughs> justin had his pick of whichever fast receiver he wanted to throw it to but but dj you're right it, it, it just an absolute godsend for this team and this offense um, not only with the production, but just the way he comports himself. He's just such a a, a team first, grounded, low maintenance dude that is has really just breathed the right type of energy uh, into this group, and he deserves credit for that. My favorite uh, throw and catch of the day. There's two. There's two things that I really starred for Justin in the in the book, but one of them is the the third and six slant completion to DJ Moore late in the game to keep that, that last field goal dry alive. And, and, and it, to me, it was just so significant because it's a play that we saw these dudes make uh, in OTAs and then repeatedly through training camp where you, you said to yourself in August, you go, ah, you know, this, this is the benefit of having a true go-to guy that you can just trust and rip throws to with the understanding that he's going to catch it. It's a fastball by Justin Fields, and it's a difficult catch. And DJ Moore makes it look easy with those strong hands and, and the catch concentration and, and all the things he brings to the table as a receiver. And, and you watch that and you go, that's it right there. You know, that that's the connection that you're longing to get between a quarterback and a receiver. And those two guys showed it there in a moment where they capitalized on a third down that helped them put the game away. Speaking of that quarterback, a lot of conversation coming out of Sunday by Justin Fields and obviously his future and obviously his place uh, with the Bears or in the league, because I think that you can look at um, there is no downside to have a quarterback playing at a high level. Either they're going to keep Justin Fields and feel good about that and trade the number one pick they're likely to get for a King's ransom, or they're going to draft a quarterback with the number one overall pick and try to t- trade Justin Fields and get something in return. There is a third option. I'm not a big fan of it, but they could keep both guys. They could draft a quarterback and keep Justin Fields and not necessarily commit to his long-term contract, but pay him what they pay him in year four, and then let the chips fall where they may. I think that's probably the least likely of the three, Dan, but obviously there's a lot of talk about it. We heard from Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network. We heard from Dan Orlowski from ESPN. Uh, Before we get into what they had to say in our reaction to it, um, would you say that those three options uh, maybe accurately describe where – the Bears are with Justin Fields right now? Yeah, I, for certain. I think that you're right in saying that that third option is, is is the least likely. It just creates a lot of logistical headaches and dynamics that you don't really want to have going into this uh, phase. Um, but like, yeah, there, there, there's a lot to think about here. And I think one of the things that we do on this podcast is try to see this through the eyes of the people that have to make this decision so that you can understand that it's not just a knee-jerk Sunday afternoon. Oh, we like the kid. We're going to stick with him. That they're you're you're the the chips are Ryan Poles's to play, right? He's got to put that bet down where he believes the Bears have their best option of winning a championship. You gave the option, and he's got to take all those chips here in the 2024 offseason and put them there and bet that that's the path to winning a championship. If it's not, it's going to cost him his job. Right. And so so when when you realize the stakes, when you realize the investments that are needed, it creates a a need to not just look at this 
through a snorkel and a mask to get on your scuba tank and go way down and look at it at a deeper level so that, that you see everything there is to see. And yeah, so that, 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 that's how I would characterize that whole thing. So let's hear from Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network and talking about what the Bears are looking at with the situation with Justin Fields. Go from here. Well, you know, Stacey made so many great points about evaluating his performance. And I use the phrase the confetti test. Like, can you close your eyes and imagine him as a quarterback on the podium with the confetti falling that you've just won a world championship? And mm-hmm. I, I don't know that he's shown you enough to, to give you that. So to me, you look in this draft and we'll get into the names over the next few months. But you've got a chance, in my opinion, to get better, younger, cheaper mm-hmm. at that position. And you still possess the fifth pick mm-hmm. uh, as of right now as well to address some other needs. You know, there's a lot of Justin Fields sympathizers and apologies. I looked up your comp. Coming out, you compared him to Dak. Yeah. So Dak, you know, is a guy who came to the league with a lot of weapons, established offensive head coach, a lot of things he hasn't had uh, during these last few years. Is there anything he can do, DJ, in your eyes, in the Bears' eyes, over this next month, to really wow, impress us, and say, you know what? We may trade the number one overall pick again, and we're going to move forward with Justin. Well, I mean, he have to play just lights out. Mm-hmm. You know, a consistency and a level that we haven't seen from him. So, I, you know, I don't want to close that chapter, close that book, um, but it would have to be pretty astronomical for them to, to stay in that direction. I just don't see him doing it. What do you think the market is for Justin? Uh, well, look, Sam Darnold, when he was with the Jets, was mm-hmm. a top five pick, didn't really work out, didn't win a lot of games. They got a two, a four, and a six. Mm. So I would I would start there. Maybe you can get a little more than that, but that to me is, is kind of where the conversation begins. That's Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network. Dan, very reasonable talent evaluator. I thought that was a pretty rational approach to what the Bears are looking at with Justin Fields. So remember back in the summer when we were trying to, to, to warn people about the bumpiness that might be ahead for the Bears offense, and it coincided with Mike Sando releasing his his tears, his quarterback tears, uh, and, and us really emphasizing that, that Mike Sando's quarterback tears weren't just one man's guess at where the quarterbacks in the league rank, but the 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 – collective kind of average of 50 people around the league, coaches, general managers, uh, you know, personnel execs that, that, that give you insight. And Justin was a lower tier three at that point. Daniel Jeremiah said something in that clip there, David, that I thought was really notable. He said he would have to play with a consistency and at a level that we haven't seen from him. And that, I, I, I was almost jealous of that phraseology because it was just so succinct and so well said about what we're trying to figure out here down the stretch of his third season, right? Like this isn't the end of year one. This isn't the end of year two. This is the end of year three. And we're still kind of talking about if this continue, if there's so many ifs instead of what is, you know? And, and so for, for him to say that it has to be astronomical down the stretch for them to, to, to consider sticking with him, I thought that was, that was notable from someone who is, who is coming at this from a reasoned perspective with no skin in the game and no emotional attachment to one side or the other. And outside of Chicago, maybe the last five and a half games that Justin Fields has been healthy, the the numbers that he's put together, as you're seeing, circulated on social media, and they're very impressive. You know, touchdown to, to interception ratio and the yards, maybe outside of Chicago, they aren't as impressed, perhaps, around the league. So I think it was interesting to hear. The confetti test is an interesting test because I don't know – um, if that always applies, but I also think that it's worth remembering. Um, I, I also liked the comparison. You know, I, I look at Justin Fields and I felt like I said this to, to Mully on the Mully and Haw show this morning on Monday morning that uh, Justin Fields had a Lamar Jackson-like day against the Lions. He had, you know, 12 carries for 60 yards. He made three outstanding escapes on third down with his feet. He had the touchdown that he scored that, you know, he hit another gear that other quarterbacks can't find. 
Um, he did have examples of special, and that's what Lamar Jackson does. I also think the comp to Dak Prescott gives you pause a little bit because if, if that is indeed the case, I think that after three years of Dak Prescott, I'm not sure anybody in Dallas was ready to say he can win, uh, they can win a Super Bowl with him or because of him. And I think now, though, here we are uh, this far into December in 2023, and he may be one of the biggest reasons that people believe in the Cowboys going into the playoffs. Could that be Justin Fields in two or three years? Not sure, but it's not a crazy comparison. So I do think you could talk yourself into either argument. I, I do think it's a healthy debate, and Justin Fields has kept it alive by playing well enough in the last three games to keep it on going. But I think still there are – there right now what he says about having to be wowed remains true because you have a chance to get a confetti guy or a guy who would pass a confetti test and i just don't know that you're talked out of that just yet but to be continued this this is an ongoing conversation well i like what you said there about that you can talk yourself into either side of this and we we know that the people in the court of public opinion are doing that as, as we record this they've been doing so yep. for a while uh, you genuinely can can talk yourself into e either side of this and that's why i use the the general mayor general manager's chairs test because ryan poles in his chair can't sit there and be selective about this he can't just throw out all the stuff that didn't go right or, or all the sacks that were taken or all the, the fumbles that were lost or all the fourth quarter struggles that existed uh, just as he can't throw out all the, all the promising moments. He also um, can't be overly emotional with his evaluation in, in, in getting caught up in a, a surge late in year three that creates recency bias. Now you have to take the finishing stretch um with some weight, right? Like it's got to have a different weight because it's, it, it's where your trajectory is when the decision needs to be made, but it can't be the only thing you can consider. And so like Ryan is going to have to come at this uh, as real as real can be, you know, with his analysis, with his assessment, with his, with his emotional detachment from all of it. And he's going to have to do that again, as real as real can be, because this decision is as real as real can be for a football organization that is trying to do what it hasn't done in, in four decades, which is go and win a Super Bowl. Before we get to Dan Orlovsky's comments, one more uh, Chicago sports, I think, comp, which put it in, in terms of at least, you know, maybe baseball or Cub fans might relate to. You know, there's also the one thing you have to, if you're, if you're Ryan Poles, you're looking at you have the number one overall pick, if that is indeed the case. And it's imagine what he could get for it. And you imagine how many different areas he could address. So it's like all of that capital. And it's like the Cubs were not getting Otani. You know, if the Cubs would have gotten Otani. Wait, they didn't get Otani? When did that happen? <laughs> you have been in the bubble. So <laughs> when the Cubs didn't get Otani, now it's like, well, geez, that's bad news. But the good news is, all right, well, you saved you had all that money. You had $700 million. They weren't going to spend it. But now you could almost use the resources you were going to go after with one guy and spread it around, and you can get your third baseman. You can get your theoretical outfielder. You can get your pitcher, all with what you would have done devoted to one guy. So the Bears, yeah, if they keep the number one overall pick, they may get their guy who passes the confetti test. But if they don't and they decide to trade that, this is the argument against. It's like, well, you can get a center. You can get a wide receiver. You can get a defensive pass rusher. You can get a lot of things with that number one overall pick because it's valued and it has so much worth in the open market to teams that are desperate to get that. My, my, my counterpoint to that is just also remember that 
by resetting yourself with a rookie quarterback. It's not going to be the same level of haul that you're going to get from trading the pick, but you are going to get contractual freedom that allows you to get those other things as well, because now all of a sudden you're freeing up, you know, 20 plus million dollars or more on your, on your cap to, to go invest in those things because you, now you have a quarterback on a rookie deal for at least three years and and conceivably four. And and so now you've got the, the resources in that way that I think a lot of people underestimate when they have the conversation about how many resources come your way if you stick with Justin and you trade the number one pick. That's the exact counter. And, and that's probably the way I would be leaning, you know, but I, but I think that both sides have to be addressed and discussed and that's what we did. Look, okay, I so- mean, like you tell me, like, w- would you want to have the pressure that Ryan Poles has to get the, like your career is riding. Oh yeah. I'd love it. I would love it. I'd love, okay. I'd love Cause, that cause I would cower. I'd freak I, out. I would, and I would, I would, that job. I I would that have job. an ulcer and I'd be in the hospital for three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Dan Orlovsky from ESPN also weighed in on Justin Fields the morning after the bears beat the lions. Just rewatched some of the games from the one o'clock hour. Obviously the lions and bears was one of mine. If you don't watch that game, and think to yourself, Justin Fields still has a chance to be a really, really, really special player at quarterback. I don't know what you're looking at. Watch some of the throws, some of the balls downfield, some of the out routes, some of the second reaction instinctual runs, some of the design quarterback stuff, some of the placement and man coverage. I understand it's a Lions defense and the Lions defense is struggling. But again, given the circumstances that he's in, which is right now, I would say, last year, worse than the NFL, it's still an average in totality offense around him. If you don't, I, I don't get it. Like, if you can't watch it and sit there and say you continue to build around him there or somewhere, and you got a really good player. Okay. I, I, I don't know if I uh, am as swept away with that Dan's assessment rather than the other one. Um, well, I, I think. Like there was there, the, the phraseology is important. And he said, if you don't think he has a chance to be a really special player, right? It wasn't, if you don't think he is a really special player. And so that, that that's where I always say is like, why are we still talking about a chance to be like, there's a point where Ryan and Kevin and everybody else at the top of that organization are going to have to decide on whether he is going to be, not whether he has a chance to be. And I feel like we've been stuck in this has a chance to be for like 13, 14 months now. And, and, and eventually has a chance to be, has to become is otherwise it's all just a a, a chasing your tail exercise. And it sounds like, with all due respect, sometimes guys, you know, remind me of the, of the executive who told you either don't, you can't just grade the flashes. You, you can't just be evaluated or be swept away by what you see in the highlights. And I know the wow moments are dazzling and they are with Justin Fields. And I, I can be guilty of like, wow, you know, this guy is special and, and wow. And then it, it forces you to like justify, rationalize uh, the missing the wide open receiver, the overthrow of DJ Moore, and all the other things. Like, well, you know what? But did, do you remember that, uh, that uh, great run on that 19 yard run and on third down? Wasn't that cool? I mean, so it, it's both. And and you're right. There is, uh, the potential versus production argument is is a big one too. So well, I, I'm I appreciate where Orlovsky's coming from. He watches a lot of tape, but I, I don't know that that moved me much at all. One, one of our friends uh, who, who may or may not sit in the press box on game days referred to the uh, shot over the middle to DJ Moore that was sailed in the fourth quarter as the Wembenyama 
So uh, <laughs> you, you, you can you can use uh, an educated guess to figure out who might have wanted to, uh, to, to, to to phrase that up. But there were there were throws like that Sunday that, that weren't great. Uh, I'll give you the other one that I loved just because uh-huh. I want to be clear on this first first drive of the second half. Uh, it's a basic 16 yard completion to Darnell Mooney, but it, it was it was such a beautiful ability of Justin to climb the pocket, surf it, see it, throw it, make a, a, a throw to a guy that's open and hit it where you're just like, okay, like let's see that twice a quarter, you know, and, and, and it's there, like the, the, it's all in there. And that's, that's where I think where Olofsky's coming from is, is it's all in there, but is it in there consistently enough to get you to the confetti test? And that, that that's what Ryan Poles and, and his staff have to make a decision on here soon. We will continue the conversation about Justin Fields over the final four weeks. He has made a pretty convincing closing argument so far, but the jury is still out deliberating. We'll deliberate all month. Dan, before we get out of here, what else happened at Hallis Hall? What else came out of that game do you think that you learned today that uh, is worth noting before we, we wrap things up? Yeah, Lucas Patrick and Jaquan Brisker met with the media at House Hall on Monday. I think just generally speaking, from a more big picture lens, this team is not grasping for hope anymore, David. I think they feel legitimate reasons to see themselves making progress that is toward the goal that they want to go towards. And like we've I think we, we, we've had so many times over the years where a victory feels like it's like it feels good because you won, but you're still just kind of grasping for tangible evidence of it actually being significant. Well, I think in this game on Sunday, it was the latest uh, example of a team that played well when it needed to play well. And it's why now over what, a, what are we talking? Maybe a two and a half month span, they've won more than they've lost. Right. I think they're, they're five and four in the last nine. And, and that's kind of the, the climb we wanted them to be on this season. Unfortunately, it comes after an own four start. You just needed one of those games in the first four to, to, to swing the, the entire direction of the season probably. But I do think that there is really legitimate progress being made. The players feel that and now that belief and confidence is at a level where it, where, where it matches up with the actual potential. I think we all want relevance in Chicago. Everybody <laughs> wants football relevance in December. So the games are actually as, as entertaining and compelling as the conversations between the games. And that's what I think that's what makes, you know, what happened against the Lions a little bit more. That's why the reaction is what it is, is because, wow, you know, I remember what this is like because well, it's been so long. And you go back to like what you mentioned with the the fourth and 13 touchdown pass. It was just one of those surprise moments, right? Where you're like, you know, fourth and 13, that possession was, by the way, the three plays that preceded that, which was Justin frantically trying to throw the ball out of bounds and carry a blessing game, inadvertently catching it for a three yard loss. It was Justin getting his head taken off on a uh, zone read keeper by Derek Barnes. And then it was a play that very, really conceivably should have been intentional grounding when he threw the ball into Darnell Wright's shim, you know, 14 yards short of the nearest target. And then you, you're like, okay, they just wasted another possession. And then you get that. And you felt like you, you were in that press box. You felt soldier field explode. You felt the press box explode. There was some unethical cheering in the press box, which is a story for another day, but like the whole stadium was so (laughs) big. (laughs) stunned by the jubilation of that moment where it was just like holy cow like this is what it's like to be game day and not just fun in a mock draft and fun in a this is what free agency is going to look like it's like this is fun on a game day and that's what we're seeking now 
The flip side of that is I hate to be the bearer of bad news, and we'll have more uh, on this later in the week. This Cleveland Browns defense that they're about to go play, holy crap, David. Like, this is the test. If, if the Bears defense just passed a very legitimate test against that Lions offense, uh, neutralizing a group that had been averaging 400-plus per game, the Bears offense faces a steeper test against this Browns defense, which is not only good, they are great at home. And so the cook two quick numbers for you, 12.6 points per game at home this season that they're allowing 105.1 net passing yards per game at home this season. So this is it. This is the test that we want Justin Luke, the bears offense to take, to see how they really measure up. That's a great number. And this is a terrific defense. It's going to be a defensive battle. It could throw offensive football back uh, 40 years, but it'll be fun to watch. And again, like I said, a full circle moment for Justin Fields where Matt Nagy threw him to the wolves as a rookie now we can see 35 starts later where he stands and what he has to gain from it. We'll talk about that on the next time that we drop a podcast later in the week when we'll have our predictions. I wonder what studs will do on Friday. Not really wondering at all. I think he's going all in. But we will talk about that when we drop uh, on the next uh, uh, Take the North podcast. And anything else before we go? No, I just I, we're going to workshop it uh, for later in the week. Are the Bears now better than the Chiefs? Are the Bears now better than the Chiefs? Okay. Wow. Depends depends on the officiating crew. There you go. And so we'll talk about that on the next Take the North podcast. For Adam Sadzinski, for Dan Weeder, I'm David Haw. You can watch you can watch us on the 670 Sports YouTube page. You can listen to us on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. We will talk to you Friday morning, right here, same place on the Take the North Podcast. Thanks for listening. Great talk to you out there.